0: Well, one of the, uh, one of the deep convictions I have for the church is, uh, is that the generations, um, would come together, the young and the old. And for the church to, to really flourish, we need to, we need to learn from those who are, who are older than us, us, and we need to learn from those who are younger than us. And we need to be in, in families where we're constantly learning from those around us, young and old. And, uh, it's been a a privilege over the last, let's say, five years to, have been on that journey with uh, with Sandra Edgecombe and uh and to watch her um fresh faced 90-year-old um do life with a lot of the uh a lot of the 20-year-olds at feast, a lot of the 30-year-olds at feast, has been a real privilege. Um and what we find is I, I would probably do um I would probably do breakfast or coffee with with uh with Sandra and a little team probably once a week. We've been doing that for years now. And one of the things I notice is that when it comes to the generations, one of the things that is uh, uh, quite polarising is the use of language. For instance, um, the, use, the use of the word "awesome" um, for for a lot of young people is used willy-nilly. We throw it around everywhere. Everything is awesome. Our breakfast is awesome. Um, the the friends that we hang out with that day is awesome. Uh, the TV show we watched, it's awesome. Um, Whereas for Sandra, she she scowls every time we use the word awesome. There's only one person who is awesome, and that is God. And the amount of times, countless, the amount of times that I've been at breakfast with this woman and she has looked across the table at me or one of the many other um, young people, I'm not really that young anymore, but one of the many other young people will be at that table and they'll use the word awesome and she just looks at them. We know now, we know uh, that that word is revered. And like she's been teaching me like this use the use of language is really important, right the way we use words is really important um, and over the last month for me i have um i've been i've had my mind blown in a, in a really fresh way and and it's been through just this this simple study, this simple understanding of of who God is and his awesome nature. We come together this morning, and the thing that we're doing is we're coming together to celebrate who God is. We're coming together to celebrate the awesome nature of who God is. He's the only one that can claim that term, that word. He's the only one that can. In Revelation twenty-one verse six, it says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end." And over the last month for me, I've been um, God's been taking me on a journey where my mind has been blown by. Um, by many different people, Christians and non-Christians, who have just been expanding my understanding of the heavens, expanding my understanding of the universe, expanding my understanding of the intricate little moments and details that God just floods our lives with. Um, we are a minute, tiny little um, story in the in the grand narrative um, of the world, and we live in a world that is astounding. The word awesome is to inspire awe. It is to inspire an overwhelming feeling of reverence. And that is my my hope for us this morning. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. Father, as we come before you as your family this morning, we want to thank you that you alone are awesome. We want to thank you that you alone are the one that has the control of this world and this universe in the palm of your hands. Father, we come before you and we want to thank you that you are good, that you are loving, that you are gracious and that you are kind. We thank you that you have all authority. We thank you that you have all knowledge. We thank you that you care about us as individuals. You care about us as a family. You know what we bring this morning. You know the pain and the hurt that we carry. You know the joy and the celebration that we bear. Father, you know the intricate details of our lives. You know our children, our grandchildren. You know the thoughts that are in our mind. You know the hairs on our head. So Father, we just want to stop this morning. We want to take a step back. And Father, we want to praise your name. We want to lift your name above all else. Father, we want to thank you that you are good and that you love us. In your name. Amen. Well, my mind's been blown over the last, uh, last month, as I said, and I'm just going to take us on a bit of a journey. Our sun is one of at least 100 billion stars just in the Milky Way. There are at least 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The stars we see in the sky are in the past. One of the stars that comes from Orion is 640 light-years away and left the star in 1370. When we look up to the sky, when we look up to the heavens, when we look up to the stars, those stars are in the past. The light we see is in the past. The Milky Way alone would take 100,000 years to travel across. There are at least 100 billion galaxies like the Milky Way in the observable universe. The Earth goes into the Sun 1.3 million times. If you were to shrink the Earth down to a pool ball um, the size of a pool ball, the Earth would be smoother. With all the mountains, with all the valleys, the Earth would be smoother than a pool ball would. It's that perfect in its symmetry. The universe is expanding. it's stretching. It isn't static, it is growing. We live in a universe that isn't just set, it is stretching. The universe is stretching. The galaxies are stretching. In 1757, a man named James Ferguson said this Of all the sciences cultivated by mankind, astronomy is acknowledged to be and undoubtedly is the most sublime, the most interesting, and the most useful. For by knowledge derived from this science, not only the bulk of the earth is discovered, but our many faculties are enlarged with the grandeur of the ideas it conveys. Our minds are exalted above their low contracted prejudices. There are at least 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The earth goes into the sun 1.3 million times. In our planet alone, there are two million types of animals. We are filled with a planet that is incredible in terms of its creativity and in terms of its intelligence. We have animals that have extreme intelligence. Dolphins, for instance, call each other by name. There are 12 times the number of trees on our planet than there are stars in the universe. There are one trillion trees on our planet. Now, there are 7.5 billion people in the world living now in 2019. They believe there are 107 billion stories, 107 billion people that have ever walked the earth. And we are one, and yet we are unique. There is no one like us. There is no one the same. Our story is one of 107 billion stories that has ever walked on the earth, that has ever laid footsteps on the earth. We are unique, we have unique DNA, unique genetic makeup, we are in the made in the image of God. In all his complexity, in all his beauty, we are made in the image of God. The average lifespan for us is 82 years in Australia. That is 30,000 days. 30,000 days where we will wake up in the morning and we will go to sleep at night. Our brains are the most complex objects in the known universe giving us the power to form language and culture, to understand ourselves, to learn and to feel. We are capable of incredible creativity, music, art, literature, sport, dance. We have the ability to remember. We don't remember everything. We have snapshots throughout our life, but we have the ability to remember. Consciousness. The fact that we realise that we are where we are, that we carry something, that we are alive, that we are a part of something that is much bigger. We are not somewhere else right now. We are sitting right here. We are in a physical body, but we are right here. Does that not blow your mind? We are conscious. And we're told that this is a shadow of what will be. Plato, the book of Hebrews, C.S. Lewis all talk about this idea that this is a shadow of what will be to come. The most beautiful things in all creation, the most incredible things that we see, the most intricate details of space, the grand nature of what space is, the tiny detail that makes up our everyday lives. We are told that this is a shadow of what is to come. That the creativity that God has poured into this life and into our lives, into this world and into this universe is a mere shadow of what will be in heaven, in the renewal of all things. We serve an awesome God, a God that elevates our thinking, a God that is awesome, a God that we are meant to feel this overwhelming feeling of reverence. And not just when we gather, not just when we come together as a church, but in the everyday In the everyday little moments when we look around this world and we see his fingertips absolutely everywhere. Psalm 148 sums it up really well. If you've got your Bibles, open up to this this psalm. Psalm 148 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever, and He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, you fruit trees and all cedars, you wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. We come here today and we have lives that are are busy and that they are full. We have so many things that we are concerned about, so many things that that we are responsible for. We are busy. Our Our days are full. One of the things that's really easy for us to do is to get so focused on our everyday, so focused on our our rhythms and and the things that make up our lives that we don't take a step back. We don't remember, we don't recognize, we don't appreciate the God with which we are doing life with, the spirit with which we are keeping in step with, the Father who is walking with us. And when we mention the word Jesus, when we talk about God, when we talk about, when we look at the passage that we're about to look at, what I want to remind us of is that Jesus is the creator of all the universe. He is the most creative being that has ever lived. His knowledge cannot be compared. His understanding cannot be compared. Everything that he is is beautiful and brilliant. There is no limit to his power. There is no limit to his authority. There is no limit to his creativity. He is limitless. He is awesome. So when we approach passage in, in scripture, when we approach Matthew 21, when we approach this, this really simple story that we're going to look at today, what I want to remind us of, the posture that I want us to take as we go into it, is that this is God in all his fullness, in all his glory, in all his magnificence, taking these steps towards Jerusalem. So Zechariah 9 verse 9 to 11. Zechariah was a book that was written 500 years before Jesus came. And, uh, and listen to these words as found in Zechariah 9 verse 9 to 11. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This was a prophecy that was written 500 years before Jesus. Rejoice, shout, see that your king comes to you. The Creator comes to you. The Father runs to His Son. He is righteous. He is carrying salvation. He is gentle, riding a donkey. He will proclaim peace for the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the rivers to the ends of the earth. Here we have this prophecy that is written five hundred years before the passage that Heather read out. Matthew twenty one, when we talk about Palm Sunday, when we look at this story, this is the fulfilment of this prophecy that was read five hundred years earlier. For the Jews, they had an expectation. The Jews knew their scripture. They knew their Old Testament scripture. Someone who had a medium education would have really would have understood this passage and probably known most of it by heart. They knew the prophecies that were to come of the, the king of Zion that would come to fulfill um, the prophecies of old. They knew the one that would come to liberate them from their tyranny. They knew the one that was to, the one to come to fulfill all the hope that they carried. For 500 years they'd heard this prophecy. Now the Jews were welcoming in a political leader in their minds. They had an understanding of a man that would come down and take down, um, use all the power that he had, use all the authority that he had, um, and would would take down the Roman tyranny that they were experiencing, and would give the power back to the people. And this story is uh, profound. And instead of instead of um, using power, Jesus chooses to use sacrifice. He uses sacrifice. He sacrifices himself on a cross. He takes the sin of the world on his shoulders and alleviates our guilt and our sin. The people's plans as Jesus walks into Jerusalem here were temporary and they were local. But God's ways are higher than our ways in all circumstances. And God's plan was eternal and was global. So we pick up the passage in Matthew 21 verse 2 starts off as as it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. This is a simple fulfillment of the prophecy. This is Zion's king. When Jesus says to his disciples, Go and get a donkey, he knows exactly what he is doing. He knows the prophecy of old. And he is making a profound statement to the people around him that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy, that he is Zion's king. He is not uh, he is not trying to hide it. He's not trying to put it in the shadows. He is trying to put it out there to everyone to tell the world that he is the one that they are to shout for. He is the one that they are to rejoice over. Your king has come to you. The one who is righteous, the one who is carrying salvation, he has come. The one who will proclaim peace to the nations, the one whose rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to river to the ends of the earth has come. And when Jesus says to his disciples, go and get me a donkey, this is what he is saying. I am here. I am your king. I am the one who will proclaim peace to the ends of the earth. And yet it's not with a statement like we would have thought. It's not with a statement of power, but it's one of humility. This is not the first time a king has ridden a donkey. Um, donkeys were 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 much more respected animals back um back, back in biblical times. If I'm a king and I'm riding in and I have power to over all creation, there's no way I'm riding a donkey into Jerusalem. I'm riding a leopard, my leopard's probably got wings. You know what, I'm probably gonna ride a dragon in. Like that's what I'm gonna ride in. There is no way I'm riding a donkey in. But Jesus, in all his creativity, with all his authority, with all his power, he created every single animal he chooses to ride a donkey in. And part of what it is, it's a statement to, to say to everyone in the world, everyone that is there watching what is going on, is the fulfillment of the prophecy from 500 years earlier. And the other part of this is that he is saying to the world, I will do things differently my ways are ways of peace, my ways are ways of grace, my ways are ways of love, not of power, not of authority, not of tyranny. He is ushering in a very different kingdom. In Matthew 21, verse 6 to 9, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, they placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. There's a really simple posture that everyone takes here, and it's one of honour. The disciples follow him. The disciples listen to him. The people honoured him. The people followed and they worshipped him with what they had on them. They took their cloaks and they put them on, their don- on his donkey and they put them on the road, which was customary for someone who was really, really important. Customary for a king, that you would line the path in front of the king as a way of honouring them. They cut palm trees, palm branches, things that were around them. The palm branches, as we see here, in ancient time represented victory, they were used for a triumphal king. They're used in several sections throughout Scripture. And they carried with them a lot of meaning. This was a group of people who were ushering in a prophet, who were ushering in a rabbi, but they were acknowledging him as their king. They were acknowledging him as their savior. And the passage says they lifted up their voices and worship. They proclaimed, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. There is this picture of worship. We have worship nights. We come together every Sunday and we worship. We come together and we sing. We lift our hands. We praise him. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture of worship. They're using, and it's quite humble, they're using what is around them. They're using the cloaks that they're carrying. They're using the palm leaves that are around them. They're using the voices that they have. This is the way they're ushering in the king of all the universe, the king that knows the stars by name. This is the way that they're ushering him in, and it's perfect. He was a king that was entering the gates of Jerusalem to redeem the world. In Matthew 21, verse 10, it says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth to Galilee. And this is it. The whole city of Jerusalem was stirred and asked, Who is this? And this is the cry of our hearts as his people, that our city would be moved to ask this question, who is this? You had this group of people who had been following Jesus for a long time, for years. And you had a group of people there who were encountering him for the first time. And the praise, the honour with which they gave Jesus started, um, started this thing throughout the city where people were asking questions. People were asking questions about who this man is that was coming in. Who is this man from, from the farms that was coming into the city that was getting this sort of welcome? Who is this man that is getting this honour, the honour that only a king gets? And it was through this simple, simple posture of worship. One of the things as we enter towards Easter, As we come um, to next weekend, one of the things that we need to understand, the posture that we need to take is that every step that Jesus takes, every step that he takes over the three years of his ministry is towards Jerusalem. There is nothing accidental about his posture. There is nothing accidental about his journey. As he walks towards Jerusalem, Matthew's account of him in Jerusalem is that this is the first and last time that he goes into the great city. This is the first and last time that he finds himself in Jerusalem. And one of the things that we need to, we need to really grasp as we, to understand next week in all, all our, all its fullness is that everything that Jesus is doing is deliberate. Every step that he is taking towards Jerusalem is deliberate. Many a king had gone through and been honoured through the gates of Jerusalem. But Jesus is walking through those, those gates, step by step, the king of the universe, the one who knows our name, every single name in all the world, who knows all our history, who knows all our future, who is outside of time. The one who has complete control over everything is taking step by step, deliberately, purposefully through the gates of Jerusalem. Jesus knew exactly what was coming ahead. He knew what was needed. He knew that one of the biggest things that he was going to do was sacrifice himself for the burden of this world to alleviate the darkness that we carry, to alleviate the sin that we carry, to alleviate the brokenness that we carry. As Jesus took step by step, deliberately and purposefully through the gates of Jerusalem, many were ushering in a political leader, but we were ushering in, and he was being ushered in as the King of kings and Lord of lords that was there to sacrifice himself, to, to pave a new way, to usher in a new kingdom in, one of peace and not of tyranny. And so when Jesus is walking through and everyone is celebrating and praising his name, he knows what is coming. He knows what his job is that he is there to take all the sin of the world upon himself and upon his shoulders. He knew what was to come, and we'll look at that over the course of this week. But in Zechariah, we read about a God, a king who comes to us. It's not a king that waits for us, it's a king that comes to us. It reminds me deeply of the, the prodigal son, a father that comes running towards his son. And so as we approach next weekend, what I want to remind us of through Psalm 148 that moved everyone in the city to ask, who is this? Is that this is our creator. This is the posture of our King. This is the posture of our Father. This is the one who breathes the universe into existence. Everything in this world reflects his glory. Everything that is good reflects his splendor and reflects his character. And our job as we go about this week, our job is to thank him for it. Our job is to praise him. Our job is to take the same posture that these people took as Jesus entered the, the, the gates of Jerusalem, is to praise him. It is to honour honor him. It is to celebrate him. It is to use what we have to honour him. This is the eternal God that we are meeting with. This is the God of the absolute truth. This is, this is the God of the billions and the God of the one. And Psalm 148 reminds us that throughout eternity, the heavens are praising him. The angels are praising him. The sun and the moon are praising him. The waters and the skies are praising him. The creatures of the depths, the lightning, the hail, the snow, the clouds, the mountains, the trees, the wild animals, the people of the world. Let us praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. Praise the Lord. As Jesus walks through the gates of Jerusalem, he is redeeming the whole world back to him. He is renewing all of creation back on the right axis, back under his care. And so the most natural thing for all the world, the most natural posture, the most natural overflow for all the world is what? It's to praise him. So when we come together this week, when we come together today, the most natural posture for us is one of praise. It's one of thankfulness, it's one of celebration. One of the things I love about this story, it's a really simple story. People come together and they use what is on them. They use cloaks and they use palm leaves and they use their voices to usher in the King of Kings in a really humble moment. They use what is on them, but they give him the honour that he deserves. They praise him with their hearts. They praise him with their lips. And when this is the posture that we carry, the world looks at us and asks, who is this? And we reply, Hosanna, praise the Lord, this is Jesus, this is our Father. On Thursday and Friday and Sunday, we're going to look at the cross, we're going to look at the resurrection, we're going to look at the way in which Jesus defeated death. But today, the posture that we are to take is one of celebration, it's one of praise as we usher in the King into Jerusalem, we are to thank Him for what He has done in the past, what He has done now, and what He continues to do for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to acknowledge that You are the God of love. Father, we want to thank You that You define what love is for us. Father, we want to thank you that you laid your life down, that you sacrificed yourself, that you went willingly to a cross, a cross that carried shame, a cross that carried dishonor, and you took a criminal's death. But Father, we thank you that that was purposeful. We thank you that the nails that you took, the sacrifice that you you made was purposeful. We want to thank you that you defeated death, that death has no sting over you, and that now, Father, we carry eternity. Father, we want to thank you that you have deep purposes for our lives. And that in that, you just call us to enjoy you. To enjoy making much of you. To enjoy a relationship with you. And Father, I want to thank you that you make that incredibly easy. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that in your majesty and in all the grandness that is this universe, you care about our lives. You care about the small things in our lives. You care about the seemingly insignificant things. Father, I want to thank you that you're a God that is deeply personal, that you're a God that is relational, that you're a Father that loves us and that walks with us. And so, Jesus, we just want us to come together and we want to praise your name. As the universe is singing your praises this morning, as the rocks are singing your praises, as the mountains are singing your praises, as the animals are reflecting your glory, Father, I want to pray that we, as your people, would come together and reflect your glory, that we would praise your name, that we would lift your name high, and that we would thank you for who you are. In your great name. Amen.